high school was probably the last time we cared about a geography textbooks and with increasing global warming and pollution all over the world the time isn't far away when we don't need to learn anymore of what species of animals birds insects are found all around the world and on different terrains today we have kara tejpal with us kara is a wildlife conservationist and is also leading the mud on boots project by sanctuary nature foundation mud on boots project is an initiative by sanctuary nature foundation to empower and strategically help wildlife conservationists across india today we'll talk about wildlife different terminologies and dilemmas around conservation and little ways in which we can contribute and help save the nature so tuning in right away Kara this is our trademark question and I'll say it in Hindi it's aapki yahan tak ki journey kaise shuru hui uh that's a heavy question it goes back a very long way um my journey began when i was a very small girl actually and i always loved animals from the time i was 3 or 4 years old i knew that whatever i do when i grow up it has to be with the outdoors it has to be with nature and as a child my understanding of uh, career possibilities was very limited i thought the maximum one can do when they love animals is be a vet but as i grew older i and i read more and i met more people i learned about this word conservation i learned that uh, we live on a planet where there's a lot of diversity but a lot of things are threatened and because of human causes we are losing forests we're losing grasslands we're polluting water bodies and from there my kind of uh, passion for wildlife emerged um and uh, it 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 started right when i was in school when i started volunteering with different animal welfare organizations uh after which i took a gap year after school i had a bit of a unconventional uh, journey i know in india most parents want their children to follow a straight trajectory where you go to school you go to college you do even higher studies and then you get a stable job i never did any of that I took a gap year after school to uh, work with a wildlife organization. Following that, I did go to college. I went to a small liberal arts college in uh, America. It's called Hampshire College. Uh, it was a an amazing experience. It was uh, a bit of a hippie, radical kind of school uh, where there was there were no exams. Where we created our own uh, degree programs. And though I learned a lot while I was there, I decided in my third year that I no longer want to pursue. uh an academic journey and i chose to drop out i prefer to call it opt out because it was a very conscious decision i opted out from college i did not get a degree and i came back to india and then i spent another year just traveling across india learning about different animals learning about different uh conservation measures uh working with and meeting different wildlife conservationists um uh, before starting a more formal career and that took me through a number of different organizations i worked with the jerry martin project uh which works on snake bite issues in india i worked with um a member of india's uh, standing committee of national board for wildlife where i learned about policy issues um and then i took up a job with sanctuary uh and it's the job that i still do i've been with them about 6 or 7 years and at sanctuary nature foundation i started off as an assistant editor today i lead conservation initiatives for sanctuary and um, i am what i like to call a conservation generalist which means that i'm not a researcher i'm not a scientist i'm not a journalist but i do a little bit of everything so i campaign i fundraise i write 
I strategize, I network, I do a whole host of different things that the conservation community needs right now. So that's where I am today. So, Kara, can you throw some light on your work with Sanctuary Asia, please? Of course. So at Sanctuary, I have, I wear a few hats. Uh, my primary hat is of um, uh, the Director of Conservation Initiatives. And under this, we run something called the Mud on Boots Project. The Mud on Boots Project is a program that we came up with to support and give uh, support to grassroots conservationists in this country. Uh, when I say grassroots conservationists, I mean people who are working at a ground level, people who are working in the field, people who are working within their local communities. Um, quite often, these people do not have, say, you know, uh, a lot of educational qualifications, uh, you know, big affiliations with big organizations. They may not have, they may, they may not speak Hindi or English. They may not uh, have a scientific background. They might not have ever traveled outside of their town or village. But they do very important work because they help conservation at the ground level in the field. Uh, and these people, uh, we realized, were not given enough credit in this entire conservation fraternity. So the Manamoose project um, developed out of the need to support such individuals and to recognize the amazing work that they do. Uh, and through our project, we identify and select what we call project leaders. These are community leaders who are nominated to us by um, uh, by well-reputed conservationists within our network. And over a two-year period, these project leaders uh, get a monetary grant, media support, and anything, any other kind of strategic support that they require. So that's the Maron Boots project. Uh, separately, I also help to formulate and coordinate conservation campaigns for Sanctuary. Sanctuary is, uh, is an old organization. It has a legacy of over 40 years. Um, and it originally started off as, a, as, as India's first wildlife landscape. So communications has always been a strong point, which is why campaigns are important. Uh, you know, there are so many issues that are ongoing in the country, but not many people know about them. So we run our campaigns via our magazine as well as through our social media channels. And then I also work as a commissioning editor. I love to write. I love to read. Uh, I do report myself quite often, but I also like to, to, because of this large network I've created of friends and colleagues in the field, I like to uh, commission articles about relevant conservation issues, relevant scientific research that's happening uh, for publication on our website and magazine. So quite broadly, these are the three things that I'm doing for Sanctuary. That's, that's quite amazing. So like the basic question that first comes in, in like for everyone that's out there, not doesn't know about yeah. wildlife or conservation work yeah. is that people, it's people do think that it's just the people who have a degree a formal degree in that like a college student that does want to work about it they are like we are from a different stream and we can't really work about it so how is that so i you know i think for a long time conservation has been seen as a very niche kind of subject which only a few very well qualified scientists can can work on but that's not true and in a country like India, we have a very old legacy of conservation that in fact has come from the grassroots as well. You look at something like the Chipko movement. Everyone has heard about the Chipko movement, right? It was the environmental protection movement that came up in Uttarakhand, uh, led by the women from the villages who stopped, stopped, uh, stopped, stopped their trees from being cut. So conservation is not simply uh, a matter of hard and high level science. It is a matter of compassion. It's a matter of community. It's a matter of every single one of our lives. Um, 
and I'll tell you why. Uh, you know, I do understand that as a society, we have grown very alienated from nature. We, we tend to forget that we are part of nature and we tend to think of ourselves as humans on one side and then all the rest of the animals and plants and everything else on the other side. And the thing with conservation is the more you read, the more you learn, the more you travel, the more you realize that this is just not true. Humans are a part of this natural ecosystem. And we've not been very good neighbors to any of our other species, uh, whether it's flora or fauna. Um, and also, you, you, at, at this point, you realize that there are many different ways for every single person to be involved with conservation issues. Um, conservation is a very broad subject. Uh, it involves many different kinds of problems, many different challenges and hurdles. Uh, depending on the individual you are, you can choose to approach it uh, and uh, put your skills, whatever your individual skills are, to use. Um, I will say this. There is a term that we use called ecological illiteracy. And that an ecological illiteracy is exactly what it sounds like. It means that we really don't know much about our planet. And this is true. I mean, it's, um, last year I, I did a talk at a college where uh, most of the students had never heard about some of the world's most famous conservationists, such as David Attenborough or Jane Goodall or Diane Fossey. And so I think it is a duty of every single one of us to educate ourselves. We live in an age of information. We have access to the internet 24-7 and there, there is enough information out there for all of us to be learning more about the world that we inhabit. Our world does not end uh, you know, outside the limits of our cities. Our world is way bigger than just buildings and cars and uh, movie theaters. And um, I really hope that more and more people can, be can begin to connect back with nature and discover the joy and the absolute beauty of the world that we live in. This brings me to the question, to the concept of uh, the butterfly effect. And yeah, people say that they can't really stop doing their job and get into it full time. So what is it like for people like us, for normal students, what, they, what can they do for, let's say there is a member of a college club or a school interact club yeah. or an HR yeah. or, a, or a HR, what drives and yeah. programs can be carried out for Oh, there are so many things that everybody can do. Uh, to start with, online activism is a thing. It helps, it works. We're seeing that right now with the protests against uh, several big projects coming up in India, as well as the demand to withdraw the EIA notification, uh, the draft. Uh, so whether it's signing petitions, sharing information about a particular subject on your social media, right into uh, members of authority. These are really important tasks and in a democracy like India, we should all be exercising this right and demanding better environmental governance. Number two, more hands-on approaches. Um, almost every town and city in the country will have a, a, a small environment NGO or a conservation organization. Identify this, find out which, which organization is working near, near you and reach out to them, volunteer for their programs, go for their, attend their talks. Um, even just go in and give them coverage, such as the way you guys are interviewing me for your podcast. Learn more about the work happening at a local level, wherever you are. Uh, volunteering your time is key. Volunteers play a really important role in, keep, in keeping momentum for conservation issues. Um, at Sanctuary, we have volunteers from all walks of life who come in and put their expertise uh, where it is best used. 
So whether you are an artist or a singer or an accountant or a journalist, there is a way for you to be contributed to conservation efforts in the country. Um, the, the, another way that uh, anybody can help is by fundraising. Um, so much, so much uh, wildlife work and so much social work requires monetary contributions and requires people to be uh, investing in them monetarily. And when I say fundraising, I don't just mean that you give a, a one-time donation of 2,000 rupees or 5,000 rupees. I mean, you create a fundraiser, you do crowdfunding, you understand the issues involved. And once you understand these issues, you yourself will be driven to try to make them better. Uh, sorry, I'll add one more thing, which is that, a, you know, a lot of different organizations, whether it's WWF India or the Bombay Natural History Society, whatever it is, they have uh, online courses. And these are short courses. They don't take up more than a few hours of your week. And they're and it's a, it's a great way to be introduced to the kind of... Uh, uh, conservation landscape of India. Yeah, so Kara, you were talking about the EIA Act or EIA Draft of 2020, right? Yeah. So around this, like for quite some months, we have seen that there's too much of protests and, you know, people are not accepting the draft. So can you just throw some light on what it is actually and how can we help? Like I have seen a lot of problems and what are the intentions of EIA yes. and it's somewhat it's somewhat disturbing in the sense that it doesn't, you know, fall in place with the whole conservation project of us. Uh, absolutely. We're actually in a very, very trying time globally. We know that climate change is very real. We also know that we are facing the consequences of a pandemic. Uh, and there's enough scientific data to show us and to prove to us that the reason we have this pandemic is because of loss of wild habitats and the kind of erasure of distance between humans and wild nature in a way. Um, so we have these very clear links where human actions are related directly to all to human suffering. Um, and, and, and the kind of need to have stable climate, to have better environmental protection is very clear. So the EIA is uh, the Environment Impact Assessment. Um, it, it's, it, it was created to regulate the, the process for environmental clearance for large projects in the country. These are projects such as mining or hydro and thermal power plants or massive land acquisition projects. Um, and, and, it, and as it stands, this, the EIA regulates this process so that, you, that certain projects that have very bad environmental impacts don't, are not given clearance. Um, a, few, a few weeks, a few months ago, the government came out with a draft uh, EIA and they had made certain amendments, certain changes that have significantly diluted the, the, the power of the EIA. And it has completely diluted the environmental protection that the EIA should be providing us. Um, uh, a lot of it is very scary. Uh, I, you know, I wrote down some points. I'm not a policy expert, but I do read up a lot about these things. Uh, some of the more dangerous points are, it has kind of limited, and in some cases even taken away uh, the process of public hearing. That is, if there is a project that the government deems important coming up in my village or in my, on my land, I will not have a say in that matter. That's hugely problematic. There is uh, less time for public uh, consultation and responses. Most scarily, there is something called ex post facto clearance, which means that uh, a project proponent, even if they start their project without getting environmental clearance, they start their project 
it's straight up what is an environmental violation right now. They can get clearance at a later date. So it means that I can cause the harm now and then later I, I can pay a small fine and get the clearance as opposed to being uh, given the penalty for committing an environmental violation. Um, there is also the extended validity of approvals for certain projects. And then there is, uh, it halves the frequency of reporting, of reporting uh, on these projects. So there are, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of points actually under this EIA and there are many kind of explainers out there on the internet. Uh, our last date for sending in submissions and for the public to protest uh, the draft notification is actually, I think, the 30th of this month, which is, uh, is it tomorrow? Is it today? I have to check my calendar. It's tomorrow. Yeah, it's tomorrow. Yeah, it's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. It's so that tomorrow. tomorrow is the last day for us to send in our uh, comments. Um, the one really cool thing we've seen is that a lot of different uh, civil society groups, environmental organizations, wildlife organization groups, concerned citizens, student groups, they've all come together. They've learned more and more about what the draft EIA could mean for environmental gov governance in India. And we, and, and have launched this incredible and huge online campaign to push back, to ask for this EIA draft to be scrapped, to be scrapped entirely because it, it, it completely goes against the mandate of what the Ministry of Environment, Forest and Climate Change should be doing, which is protecting our natural resources. Um, and this podcast might come out too late for people to send comments. But I would really, really recommend that. Um, everybody... what, uh, Cara, what we'll do today is uh, at the time of recording, this is 29th of June. So we'll yeah. put out a post today and we'll totally do a bit and ask our followers to do their bit as well. And by the, by the time this podcast is out, I think we'll get in about 10, 15 submissions from our side. That would be amazing, uh, Vineet. And the thing is, it's so easy to do because emails have already been drafted. Uh, the contact information is available. It's simply a matter of reading it, understanding why you're writing this or why you're sending it in and hitting send on your email. Uh, on your email. So I'll share that link. Would you please share it with your, with yeah, your group? And absolutely. Followers. We'll do that. It's um, as it's, easy it's, as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really the least that any of us can do if we're concerned about the state of the environment. Yeah. Kara, this yeah, brings so me to the question of uh, the... Ari forest. It was a huge political issue. There were a lot of divisions in what people thought of it. And because it was given a clearance earlier, later, this, uh, the new government yeah. gave it a stay that it won't happen. It won't be, the contract will be reviewed. And yeah. so what is it that I need to know, except, you know, people, people are basing their opinions on what their political learnings are. I I want to know what how should I mean how do I keep my political learnings aside and how do I look at it in a very neutral way? It's an interesting question and it's also a little difficult because at the end of the day the environment is political. You know, um, we have issues not just of pollution. We also have issues of ecological justice. We have uh, issues that impact some of the poorest members of our society. And they often have an implication on 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 politics and and what our ruling parties are doing. Uh, in terms of RA, I actually wasn't very heavily involved with the RA campaign, though of course I supported it. Um, so I'm not going to comment on it because I just don't know enough about it. Um, that said, I can tell you that 
so much of how it unfolded was really heartbreaking. Um, we, we had this amazing citizens movement to protect the forests. We had the voices and leadership from Adivasi communities whose forests these actually are. We had alternative uh, options available to us. And yet the powers that be went ahead. And in fact, last year, I recall two of my colleagues uh, going uh, on the day the tree cutting was starting. And even before they could reach near the gates of RA, uh, they were, they were apprehended by the police and taken to the lockup. And I had to rush there and we had to just wait for a few hours. And they were just detained for, for absolutely no reason. And so this kind of, uh, kind of clamping down on citizen, act, citizen activism, on citizen voices is very worrying, uh, not just for environmental protection, but for us as a democracy. Um, and that's really something that we should all be thinking about. And uh, as, as, as a democracy, as a country that is democratic, each of us has the right to talk about the things that concern us. And, and, and we just need to keep talking. We need to keep talking about these issues. We need, we don't, don't we all want justice for, uh, for not just the environment, but for our fellow citizens? Don't we want equality? Don't we want good health? Don't we want education? Don't we want clean air, clean water, nutritious food? Um, and all these are things that unfortunately are not handed out to us on a platter. These are things that civil society needs to continue to fight for. Also, like since the EIA is, you know, it's always almost in the concluding state. So, do does the EIA, you know, brings in place more situations and problems like the RA? And do the state welfare boards play a role in, you know, are their roles do do the do their roles actually matter, or it's just being redundant right now? Um. So the EIA pretty much makes it way way easier for any any big industry to destroy the environment with very little consequence okay so that's that's what we're looking at it's something we're already seeing we, we we're seeing it happening with innumerable projects across the country and um if any of you or your followers are interested you should check out on social media campaigns such as save save the bang valley save the hing patkai save the blue saikova uh, save save molim um you know, no to Hubuli, Ankola. There are so many, so many battles being fought on the ground at this moment that we, most people just do not know about. Um, if, if the EIA allows for industries to go ahead in this manner, there's very little that, then it becomes sanctified, then it becomes legalized, right? Then there's very little for anyone to do against it. So really now is the time for us to be raising our voices. Um, and calling for this EIA draft to be withdrawn. So, uh, Kara, there is a Reddit subreddit which says explain like I'm five. So, ELI five. So, if you can answer this question for us, what are endangered species and what are the different classifications? Okay, sure. That's pretty easy in a way. Uh, endangered species are species that are threatened with extinction. Um, globally, we use classifications provided by uh, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, the IUCN. Uh, and the classifications go something like uh, data deficient, 
near threatened i think i wrote it down what else is there data deficient near threatened uh, no data deficient least concerned near threatened vulnerable endangered critically endangered extinct in the wild and then extinct so data deficient of course is a species about which you don't know enough uh, to be able to say how much how the population is where they are what their range is etc whereas extinct is extinct dead as the dodo that we don't have them around anymore um one of the interesting classifications within this is extinct in the wild and that means that that particular species is no longer uh, found in the wild but a captive population might exist and captive populations are interesting because they are a bit of a spark of hope for the species it means that there's a potential for rewilding or rehabilitating a species in the wild but um it's it's not a place that you want to reach for any for any species should i repeat that again i know it was quite uh, confusing all the different classifications i'm going to say it again so you have data deficient species you have species that are of least concern you have species that are near threatened you have species that are vulnerable then endangered then critically endangered then extinct in the wild and ultimately extinct oh extinct in the wild and extinct so if uh, let's say um uh that particular species species is uh, i can see that in the zoo but it's not there in uh in the wild so is it extinct in the wild yeah that's what it means that you can't see it in the wild i know that wild populations of that species no longer exist and uh, has there has there been any recent extinction of a species uh yeah i mean species go extinct all the time extinction is actually a natural process uh but right now uh we're in a phase of what we're calling the sixth mass extinction and uh, the understanding is that while extinction is a natural process because of human activity we have increased the rate of extinction by so much that species that ideally would not have been going extinct right now if humans weren't around are um in india uh, we lost the cheetah so you you also have to understand extinction in terms of local extinctions and global extinctions which means that uh, when a species goes missing from a place where it was previously found that's a local extinction it might still be uh, alive and kicking in another part of the country or in another part of the world but in that area it's gone and it's extinct so india used to have a, a population of cheetahs uh, and we no longer have those that was the one big mammal that this country lost uh, we also have a number of species that are critically endangered currently uh and i think a really good example of that is a bird called the great indian bustard um the great indian bustard is a beautiful beautiful big tall grassland bird uh it was considered to be the national it was in up for consideration to be the national bird of india in fact but uh, uh the the anecdote is that because it's spelling it could too easily be misspelled it's called a bustard so you can imagine what that misspelling would be Yeah. <laughs> uh they didn't choose it and they chose the peacock instead so uh you look at the great indian bustard it's a grassland species uh grasslands are very neglected landscapes uh most people when they think of wildlife or wilderness they think of forests or they think of the oceans not many people think of grasslands or scrublands as uh wildernesses but they are and they host a lot of diversity so their habitat is under a lot of threat uh and currently i think there are less than 150 of them uh in the wild all of them in india uh and the majority of them in rajasthan and rajasthan so that's a critically endangered species that 
we're really on the brink of uh, losing. I think we have a long way to go, ma'am. That's true, uh, but it's not something to be discouraged by. And I really want to repeat to anyone who's listening to this that the world is so beautiful. India is such a stand. But what I can also share with you is that I've had the most beautiful moments of my life. I have seen uh, nature in ways that I didn't think was possible as a child. You know, uh, whether it's been bears or tigers or gibbons or khadiyals, uh, these are all fascinating, charismatic species that we share our country with. Uh, and we need to give them a bit of thought too. We were very excited to go to the zoo all the time. and okay. But again, they cage animals there. So all about, can you tell us all about zoos? The good, the bad, um, the evil, evil, maybe like um, someone like another Kara Tejpal could come out of a zoo, maybe. I mean, not. Uh, I think, yes, there are definitely arguments for both sides. I personally am not a big fan of zoos. Uh, I, I don't think that we have to keep animals in captivity in order to be able to feel compassion or learn compassion or even learn about them. I think uh, the best studies of animals have been done in the wild. Uh, I think, especially in India, where our standard of animal husbandry is not very high, uh, that a lot of the animals are depressed uh, and show signs of anxiety and other straight up mental disorders. Um, and I truly believe that the best place to see uh, an animal is in the wild. That said, uh, captive populations of wildlife, there is an argument to have zoos. One of them is the educational value that they provide. Uh, another is that they can provide a safety net population for species that are nearing extinction in the wild. Um, and the third is to allow more controlled uh, behavioral experiments to be uh, conducted. Uh, once again, though, these are the arguments that are out there, but they're not arguments I entirely agree with. Um, if I had it my way, we would not have zoos. Uh, children would be introduced to wildlife through the much more uh, compassionate joys of nature walks and bird watching, uh, safaris where possible, experiments, good, great uh, environmental educators. Um, and I'll tell you why this is. It just breaks my heart to think of any animal in a cage. Um, and especially uh, when you consider the sentience of animals and when you learn and study more about different animals, you understand that uh, that they feel so many of the emotions that we feel, right? Whether it is feelings of love and bonding with their mate, with their child, with their friends so circles. These are, these are so important to, to so many species. And in keeping them in very unnatural settings, we do break the spirit of a lot of animals. Um, uh, it's, it's unnatural, it's cruel. And therefore, I personally cannot support uh, zoos and uh, keeping animals in captivity. Which is not to say I boycott uh, people who work with zoos or who support animals in captivity. I absolutely have a lot of respect for people who do that uh, work. Uh, I myself have actually spent two months working in a conservation zoo in Jersey, in the UK. Uh, and learning more about uh, the way they were keeping birds over there. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting topic. Uh, at the very least, I know that what we have to do is improve the situation 
the living situation of animals in zoos across India right now because they are heartbreaking. Yeah, because like very, very recently, I mean, we are going through a lockdown right now and I don't think yeah. we can even experience what the animals experience, but I think we have somewhat experienced it and sure. it is not good. It is not good. No, and it isn't. Now, because unless it does not happen to you, you will never know what yeah. it feels like. Yeah. And you know, I really, uh, a lot of people like to put forth the argument that without zoos, how will the child learn about animals? Uh, but I'm sorry, I have spent time at zoos and I have seen the people who come in and visitors come in and they don't really learn anything about the animals other than to make fun of them or to mock them. Throw something or, at, you know, yeah, people or, throw stones and something. Yes, so. absolutely. Or to view the animal as, you know, uh, an object of abuse. And uh, that, that's that's very problematic that at such a young age, children are, being, are not being taught compassion. They're being taught cruelty. And that's something that last through your life yes you said that you very well said that children shouldn't zoo shouldn't be the only place that where kids can learn and a lot of kids right now are at home so you know any online documentaries content that is available you can you know so we any person who's listening to this can you know homeschool their sibling or their young ones yeah uh, so there's some, there are definitely some cool things happening online for kids as well, because I'm not a kid and I don't have kids. I don't follow them too closely, but I do, uh, for example, my friend and colleague Chandni Chhabra, uh, she works with, at, in Karnataka. She's a conservation and environment educator, and she's been running workshops, online workshops for kids as young as I think three or four years old on different aspects of the environment. So these, these workshops can be as short as half an hour or as long as two, three hours over a few days. But it's a great way to introduce your child to uh, the magic of nature. So, I mean, it's always said to catch him when they're young. Mm-hmm. So I think that is how, because 10 years later, these, these kids are going to be teenagers. And yeah. I think that is how fast the world moves. So we have yeah. to catch him when they're young. So. Yeah. Yeah, Karas. Uh, I think I hopefully I'm very I'm very hopeful that we'll get a vaccine soon and we'll start traveling again. And because for a lot of people after this, I think they value value their time and the nature that still exists yeah. a lot more. And they really want to go out and explore it later. But I mean, after after the COVID nineteen pandemic is over. So, do you have any advice for them and anything in particular? Yeah, it, uh, that traveling is beautiful. I love to travel. I've been uh, to many different parts of this country to see wildlife. I think it's really essential that we become more sensitive travelers. Uh, and by that, I mean, for example, if you're traveling up high in the mountains where there, there are no waste disposal systems, don't buy plastic bottles of water. Try not to eat packaged food. Because all of that is creating plastic that is going has to go somewhere, and the only place it goes is either down a mountain slope, or it gets burned. Uh, try to support local businesses. Try to opt for uh, community homestays. Uh, try to travel by public transport as much as possible, um, and always go go forward with an open mind. Be ready for the adventures that are going to come your way. Uh, traveling is so much fun. It's it's so exciting, um, and especially nature and adventure traveling in this country, there's, it's still very untapped. There are so many places we haven't explored and, you know, things we still haven't seen. Just 
try to be a respectful traveler. That's the best uh, advice I can give anyone. Um, and I think one thing that all of us need to remember forever is that we need nature. You know, we need nature. Um, we need the climate systems that have that have taken hundreds and millions of years to evolve. We need our trees. We need our we need our oceans. We need clean water bodies. And we're not going to get them by pretending we don't have problems. We're only going to get these things if we all work together to address some of the issues of our times. Yes, talking about adventure, like, you know, as a kid, I used to be in front of the TV 24-7. There wasn't a time that I wasn't in front of the TV or watching something. Right. I know the cartoons that were there, they were quite interesting in the sense that most of them showed adventure. Yeah. Uh, hunt in the jungle. And every time the protagonist, the hero, confronts or faces an animal that's there, the instinct is to kill. You yeah. have to beat the shit out of that animal. Uh, it's like it's shown as a catch twenty-two situation that you have to. There's no other way out. And right now, you know the unfortunate death of an elephant, and it's that it was pregnant. Yeah. So, it you know it has all. Some I think that it has somehow developed in our instinct that animals are there to kill, and whenever we face and any you know we fall in in any situation that we have faced a wild animal, and we just need to kill that. So you know what's the take out of it? How do we need to deal with this? Uh, well, firstly, human wildlife conflict uh, has different reasons in different places. Um, a lot of that, a lot of the time, there is not conflict. There's only interaction. Uh, I do think that uh, as a society, we have created many notions about different species. What species we uh, see as rogue or as problematic, um, and and the only solution right now that I see is of re-educating ourselves, of providing better uh, support to people who are actually uh, troubled by animals. You know, the cartoons you see are not at all. Uh, that you watched as a child are not at all the same thing as a poor farmer whose crop is destroyed by, uh, you know, a hungry elephant and who therefore sets out a firecracker to uh, shoo it away. Okay, these are, I mean, all these issues have a lot of uh, nuance to them. There are a lot of stakeholders involved. They're, the solutions are not overnight or simple. Uh, they, the reasons they are caused are not, uh, uh, you know, Easy to easy to distinguish or easy to address. So you know this question is difficult to answer because what we all require right now is to relearn to uh, to have better scientific input, to have better environmental governance. Um, as for popular notions of wildlife and cultural notions of wildlife, these are ever changing. These will always be evolving. Uh, currently, from my personal experience of seeing the people around me uh, and seeing the amount of interest in conservation, I, I, I am hopeful that things are getting better. Um, we also have to understand that uh, everything is not black and white. You know, the elephant that tramples a woman is not immediately the enemy, nor is the man whose electric fence electrocuted the elephant. There are so many reasons for why these things happen. And we need to get to the root of those reasons. We need to understand what those reasons are. And only then are we going to be able to uh, solve them. Recently, I mean, uh, since uh, 
since march this term of antibiotic resistance and uh, right. the reason to turn vegetarian and vegan so why should we become vegetarian well i mean i'm not i'm no one to tell you what you should or should not do i personally have been vegetarian since i've been 12 years old um the more i educate myself about uh factory farming the the way in which animals are treated uh the the kind of impact that animal agriculture has on the planet uh the the happier i am with the decision i have taken that said we cannot have a blanket kind of uh rule for everybody there are many communities that depend on safe fisheries or depend on meat for their livelihoods and that's all right but definitely in an urban landscape where all of us have the choice of going into a supermarket and choosing what to buy um i would recommend uh vegetarianism uh again veganism is a great approach to uh, it definitely has a lower carbon footprint but even that we need to look at uh closely you know a vegan diet is not always a cruelty free diet were the people who grew your avocados fairly compensated for their work were your avocados uh flown in or shipped in from halfway across the world to reach you in your city what's the carbon footprint of that so i think uh, in general our food systems have become so complex and complicated that we very often do not know what where what we're eating is coming from uh a, a, a good rule of thumb if it's if it's applicable to you is to try to eat local and eat seasonal uh and uh yeah i think it's for everyone to kind of uh read the science that is available and make choices about their diets that they that they that are in line with their ethics yeah so could you tell us some you know during your course of work what has yeah. been the most interesting stories that you have come across oh there's so many um interesting stories or interesting like any particular um, incident that you can tell us um a year and a half two years ago we went to visit as part of the madon woods project myself and my colleague we went to uh um uttar pradesh to visit one of our project leaders uh his work was along the banks of the chambal river and uh on the first afternoon we he got out a bike and the three of us sat on that bike and it was on the lonely kind of black top of the itawa mm-hmm. and we went off into the scrub and after driving for about 20 minutes we came out onto the river bank and it was a hot hot day you know staring glaring white sun beating down on us the land the banks of the river were completely parched and cracked only right near the very water's edge was the sand um and we sat down there and i had this one one and a half mm-hmm. hours most beautiful experience of watching khadiyals in the river including the big alpha male khadiyals swimming right up to where we were sitting just to check us out and see who's come onto his turf and when he floated away we saw uh, four gangetic dolphins and they were out on a hunting party and every now and then they would emerge and then go back under water and you could never tell where they would come up so you just spent we just spent it was more than an hour uh just watching the river watching these two amazing species of uh, uh of india's river systems the khadiyal and the gangetic river dolphin and seeing these the, just the sheer beauty of these animals the the strength of these animals the belongingness of these animals 
was such a moving experience um similarly uh, a few years ago i was in the dachigam national park in kashmir um it was before winter it was the fall and that's the time when bears are fattening up uh, before they go into their long winter sleep and early morning i recall so dachigam you don't take vehicles in I recall me and uh, our forest ranger Nazir Malik, and my boss Bitu Segal, and uh, Anish Andhera from Wildlife Conservation Trust, and we're walking early morning. The path is golden with leaves. Uh, the trees are still between green and gold, and on this path we stopped. And over the course of the next one or two hours, over twenty black bears. Surrounded us as they were eating acorns that were falling off the trees, and it's really for me. It's really these quiet moments in the wild uh, that that are most moving and most interesting. They don't always make for action stories, but uh, the sense of peace, the sense of oneness, the sense of wonder that that these moments have gifted me um, are indescribable. Uh, that sounds perfect kara and uh, i am sure that will motivate a lot of people to explore the wild after this covid-19 pandemic is gone so oh, yeah it, it, uh, these are just two of innumerable beautiful experiences that i've uh, had the privilege of uh, experiencing in the wilds of india um, and i really do hope more people get to have those I, same feelings that i've had i'm i'm sure you've written a lot about these experiences elsewhere also and we'd love to read them we'll add it to our description down below and if someone wants to check it out please shock sounds great so this is uh, we we have this uh, publicly sourced question and i don't really want to name the guy because uh, this question is not very nice but that is the only reason i don't want to name the guy sure. so he says why should i take greta thunberg seriously uh because she's a 16 year old so that is what he says so sure. uh no it's okay uh, everyone is allowed to ask the questions that are on their mind uh i think you should take greta thunberg seriously because she has an important message um and that if you are reading the science and if you have a concern for global issues for the survival of the human species then there's nothing to fault in greta thunberg's message um and you know very often change uh, comes from the young most often it comes from the young um and she is clearly advised by a lot of very intelligent people and even if you don't want to take greta thunberg seriously you should take her message seriously sounds perfect <laughs> that was vinith's question yeah so any fundraisers and the relief work that is going right now and you know so people can anyone who's tuning in can you know just help out do their bit oh yeah absolutely there are actually so many uh fundraisers ongoing and a lot of it is actually also to provide uh relief to uh families impacted by the pandemic um and a number of different conservation organizations are are doing work in their different uh, states for this uh instead of naming them all cuz i'll i'll scramble a bit and i'll try to remember who's doing what where i'll put together a list and i'll send it to you so that you can include it in the description yeah we'll, we'll put it in the description and also put it in our stories today as well because on 29th yeah. only we'll put it and so yeah uh 
so there is this show i mean very popular and people are very motivated to you know have an experience like that but they don't have the experience of the man behind it he is beer grills and uh-huh. i don't think man versus wild it's in everybody it okay. is in everybody to do something that beer grills does but let's say uh, there is a situation that uh, someone stuck in and there is an encounter, encounter of wildlife so how do we tackle such situations i mean bare minimum knowledge so that we don't scare the animal and not get killed also this is a really really loaded question because your answer is going to vary depending on the species the situation where you've seen it for example if i see uh, a snake outside my door as soon as i walk out what do i do right i mean the best thing to do would be to step back in and wait for the snake to slither away um this is this isn't a question that i feel uh, would be ethical for me to answer because this is a question that uh, that has too many variables to it absolutely uh, in general i i would say don't take man versus wild as a template for your interactions with wildlife uh, almost no animal in the world is out there to get you uh, you know and a lot of human wildlife encounters that happen and that are lethal uh because of chance or extreme stress or feelings of threat uh and the more respectful you are towards your environment uh the more likely you are to survive it kara this question is uh, a lot of pet lovers also ask me this question and there are yeah. ethical arguments to keep pets and not and to not keep pets so do you have a pet first of all second uh, oh i have many many pets um and it's it's definitely an interesting uh, question and it's something i do think about quite often but uh, it depends on what kind of pet you're talking right cats and dogs at this point have literally evolved and been bred to be companion animals uh if i let my dog out of the house even if he goes wandering for 2 hours i know he's going to come back right because i'm part of his pack um so i definitely think companion animals are completely legit family members uh i do think having exotic species as pets is a stupid idea i don't recommend it i don't think uh it serves any great purpose beyond you being able to take great pictures and when i say exotic pets i mean animals like snakes or you know green iguanas or whatever species it is that has caught your fancy because very often uh providing a market for exotic pets also stimulates the illegal wildlife trade uh, that occurs across the world uh i do have pets i actually um started before i started my career i spent many years volunteering as a as a teenager for a uh, animal welfare organization in delhi called friendipos uh and during this time i was a foster home for injured often abandoned dogs cats guinea pigs um and many of them ended up just staying with me so yeah cats and dogs are always around me perfect so Uh, i mean cats and dogs lovers a uh, cat and dog lovers you can totally chill and <laughs> so so this this uh, this is something that i like to end with and uh, so you know very recently there have been these posts around instagram that you know after like you know so many 100 years 50 years we are able to see these mountains from these places and this is what nature's this is the punishment that we have been getting and you know it's great that you know finally uh, earth is, is healing quote and quote earth is healing and all that so 
I mean, uh, that's a positive thing to look at, but this is not the solution. So what is the solution? I mean, a normal solution for like... Well, I wouldn't call it a positive thing to look at. I'd call it a simplistic, feel-good kind of answer to have created. The earth is not healing just because the pandemic has shut us down for a few months. Sure, individual animals or species might be in a better position in that moment or your air may be cleaner for these few months. But our entire system, the global systems that we have created that have led us to this uh, climate crisis and to this pandemic are what are in question. And uh, I wish I could tell you there's one simple solution, but I I, I really think that uh, it's going to take a lot of people working at many different levels. Uh, It's going to take a lot of political will is going to take the take take governing bodies trusting science and implementing scientific policies to be able to begin to halt i'm not even going to say reverse i'm going to say begin to halt some of the uh, disasters we've unleashed upon ourselves um, there is no simple solution there's a lot of hard work to be done um, and you know you guys are all college students and so i have to say this to you uh, in India, we are, we're brought up with a very fixed aspiration and a very fixed idea of what success is. Uh, and that is, you know, job stability and financial security and uh, a certain kind of family. And I just, I would really encourage all of you to challenge these notions. And if you are in the place to truly work for something that you're passionate about, something that, something that the end goal is not just money or, you know, fame, but the end goal is uh, a cleaner conscience, uh, is the ability to do work that you feel is impactful, the, the creativity and joys of collaboration. And these are, these are really the things that I think all of us young people should be pursuing, uh, no matter what we have been taught about ideas of success. I am sure... Uh post this pandemic the world is not going to be same we are not going to be same i think we are going to be more empathetic and hope yeah i hope that's what happens see it's generally that uh, things do go back to the normal that is a bit capitalistic but i'm sure our generation doesn't like to see i'm sure our generation won't like to see this again i mean a pandemic will sure happen again it's inevitable but we yeah. won't like to see this again. So with that... I, I just say, I think it's also a matter of uh, accepting how toxic what we consider normal is. Uh, that the normal for us in the middle class and upper middle class and the wealthy and the elite, uh, our normal, our comfort comes at the expense of the suffering of a lot of other people. So, yeah. Uh, I, I am looking forward to change. I am looking forward to being part of the change and to seeing change. So with that, I'll uh, we end this podcast and thank you for joining us, Kara. And it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for all your amazing questions. I hope I could answer at least some of them uh, coherently. And I really do hope that more and more people begin to recognize what a beautiful planet we live on and how and why they should be uh, working for a better future for all of us.
Oscara Tej Pal for you. I hope we learned a lot today about wildlife and nature conservation. A lot needs to be done and more importantly, it shouldn't be a service but our foremost duty. We've tried to compile a little doc with IG handles, newsletter links and websites which you can subscribe to for staying updated about the nature and wildlife sector of India. And this of course was with the help of Kara. Links are down below. Follow us on Instagram at OftenlyWicked. See you on the other side of change. Till then, stay curious and stay wicked.